Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce and welcome to the Boyce of Reason podcast. Today's guest is Helena, who I've had on my channel a couple of times before. She is most known on my channel uh, for speaking about her transition and detransition experience. And in this particular conversation, we cover the ways in which the detrans community is kind of at risk from other communities that don't appreciate those voices and those stories coming to too much light. We also talk about certain kind of aspects that plague leftish groups that cause those groups to always be policing what one another can say and have this trigger finger towards cancelable behavior, being any given bigotry that they put at the top of their no-no list. And we also talk about her kind of personal development as a human being and the different stages of her going through puberty and then kind of becoming an adult and how the uh, transgender ideology kind of helped her for a time or facilitated her understanding of what was going on for her and how she grew beyond that. It's a rather mature discussion, but not in a negative or vulgar way. It's just getting into the human experience, which is kind of interesting. And that's why I do what I do. That's probably why you show up to watch me do it or watch me do it along with my guests today being Helena. You want to talk to me and ergo my audience about what's going on with the D-Trans subreddit. You've made a couple of threads about this. I think it's a very interesting story. I mean, we don't have to get too much into the facts and stuff, but it seems like it's a embattled community. Yeah, absolutely. So I was the second moderator who was added to the mod list. And earlier on in my detransition, like around two years ago, I was a lot more active as a moderator. And then I kind of like slipped out a little bit um so i'm not as familiar with everything that's going on as my fellow mods um but like that thread that i made on twitter they really helped me by sending me like all the screenshots and the evidence and stuff so that i could kind of weave it all together into a thread and present it to everyone um but yeah so basically from the dawn of from even before the creation of the subreddit there has been a both a community of whatever you want to call them, trans activists, social justice activists. Some people don't like the word trans activists because it implies that all trans people are like that. But Mm. I don't think so. I think it's a, it's a correct word to use for these kinds of people. Um, They're activists for the trans ideological movement. Um, So there are a subset of trans activists who are very, very online very on Reddit, um, who they have since even the, before the creation of the subreddit have been trying to erase detransitioners from Reddit. Um, and we can speculate as to why that is. They say it's because 
detransitioners are going to discourage trans people who need to transition from transitioning um, or that we are going to be used by like the alt-right and TERFs to, you know, like make society not accept trans people anymore. Um, but for whatever reason, they think it's very important to get rid of detransitioners' opinions. Um, they claim that it's not detransitioners they're trying to get rid of. It's detransitioners who become TERFs that they're trying to get rid of. Um, so you're allowed to talk about your detransition as long as you are not critical whatsoever of transition or of the trans community, which is pretty hard to find someone like that because I'm like most of us have had the experience of being kind of hug boxed in the trans community and then having the trans community and the ideal ideology, whatever you want to call it, affecting institutions that were supposed to be there to help us. So like for me specifically, my school affirmed me, my school therapist affirmed me, my guidance counselor affirmed me. Um, when I went to get informed consent, there was absolutely no barriers for me to get testosterone. It was a very, very quick and easy appointment. There was no real psychological assessment or anything like that. Um, so obviously when people are wrongfully believing that they're trans, wrongfully believing that they should transition, and then there's an ideology that's affecting every institution that you interact with on your path to doing what you think you want, what you think mm -hmm. you need, people who are hurt by that are going to be critical of it. So, uh, that's why so many detransitioners become TERFs. So... I don't know how, how much do you want me to get into the facts? Like, well, it's just, it's really fascinating. And I guess it's not unique at all. And I guess this is just where we're at as a society. But you said that they want to get rid of TERFs. They want to get rid of these people. Mm -hmm. What is going on there? And would that actually be effective? They're basically just wanting to shut down communication between people who they disagree with. Yes, um, they, when I say get rid of, I mean they are actually actively campaigning to get our subreddit su shut down. So a really great example is what happened to the first detransition subreddit. Um, and I think this just illustrates the moral character of these groups of people so beautifully and it is so sad to me. So the first detransition subreddit was actually called R Detransition. The current one is R Detrans. Um, it was but he's here um <laughs> but yeah so it was founded by a trans woman who didn't call herself a detransitioner but she did regret her uh srs sexual reassignment surgery and so she made this community for people to talk about regret and and detransition and all this kind of stuff and very sadly unfortunately she ended up committing suicide and Within just a few hours of this suicide becoming public knowledge, there was some very large trans-identifying users of Reddit who moderate 60 to 80 subreddits each. Like These are extremely powerful individuals in the Reddit sphere who, within hours, became the new moderators of the detransition subreddit. And then, as moderators, they started deleting all of the posts that they didn't like. And so the current moderator of Dtrans he ended up making a post being like, what's going on? Why is everything getting deleted? And 
there was no answer. He appealed to the Reddit administration, no answer. Nothing was being done. And there was this group of powerful activists who had taken over the subreddit and were systemically deleting everything. So that's what I mean by they want to get rid of detransitioners and our stories and our voices. Um, mm-hmm. And then with the current subreddit, they haven't successfully deleted it, although it did get banned temporarily earlier this month. We're still not really sure what went on with that, um, why it was banned, why it was reinstated. Um, but they have been going through our subreddit and nitpicking everything we say and reporting things as transphobia or as turf rhetoric or turf dog whistles um, very obsessively to the point where there's been a lot of conflict between the mods of our subreddit and the Reddit administration. And they've kind of forced the mods' hands in policing the language of people to the point where in some instances, it's been very difficult for people to be able to express like just their genuine feelings and emotions, not even political stuff, not even political opinions, but just where did I cut off? Well, I admire their dedication for haranguing this community so thoroughly. And yet at the same time, it's really disturbing that these people have so much control over the conversation. And like you were saying, that people can't even wrestle with ideas. They can't be honest. They have to watch everything they say, which actually serves the purpose of the you know ideological trans people because there can't be any fostering of uh, arguments against them or engagements that go deeper than they want it to go. So they're being very effective to restrain uh, the, the sharing of detransitioners with one another. What is the role of that community or what is the role, what is the importance of a community for detrans people? So the reason this is so important is because that community on Reddit is the largest central hub for detransitioners to actually talk about their experiences. And it's the easiest community to find when you are just beginning in your detransition. So like a lot of the times someone who, you know, is identifying as trans, struggling with regret or doubts or questions, and maybe they have a Tumblr account or a Twitter account, they're not going to just start posting about that because they're surrounded by other trans people who are going to oftentimes be very ideological and they're not going to allow that kind of self-exploration. They're going to always answer back with some kind of justification for why you're feeling what you're feeling that still kind of traps you in the trans label. Like I know for me... um, when I kind of started doubting things and I would talk to some of my trans friends, they would always kind of like try to talk me out of it. And so when you're in that situation and you go and most of the time what people do is they Google it. Like I regret my transition or like I regret starting testosterone because you don't think that there's anyone else like that. And one of the first things that comes up is our D-trans. And then you click on that and you see that there are hundreds and thousands of people who are talking about this exact thing that you're going through and there's nothing else like that online it's very hard to find that kind of stuff on regular social media so like twitter tumblr facebook it's really hard to find that when you have never allowed yourself to explore anything outside of the trans bubble 
So that's why that's so important to be there so that people can find a community. And it's especially important because for a lot of people and definitely for me, that time period when you're kind of verging on deciding that you want to detransition to like the first few months after you decide that you want to detransition and you realize that you made a mistake, you regret what you did. I mean, that's not everybody's experience, but that was mine and that's a lot of people's experience. Um, mm. That is a crisis moment. A lot of people feel like they ruin their lives, they ruin their bodies, they're never going to be healthy or attractive or anything resembling a normal functioning member of society ever again. And a lot of people feel suicidal. Um, they feel very hopeless. And so part of the thing that helps you navigate that crisis moment is being able to have that community that you Google when you are freaking out and you're crying and you're Googling, I regret my transition. Having that community right there is what honestly saves people's lives. And I don't, I don't, pull that card lightly. I'm not going to be like, Oh, people are killing themselves, but it is true. I personally felt very suicidal when I was in this crisis moment and being able to just go on Google and have that community pop up. Although back when I was detransitioning, there was like 300 members. Um, now there's over 15,000 and they're not all detransitioners, but, um, it's really important to have that. And I fear that if, there is not a community that is so easily accessible. Like for example, if we're forced to move to some kind of alternative platform, I fear that there are going to be people in that crisis moment who they're going to Google and they're not going to find our D-trans. They're going to find maybe like an article or two. They're going to find a bunch of articles saying detransition is a myth, oh. but they're not going to find that community. Yeah. If you Google detransition, there's, there's like, um, Katie Herzig's article about detransitioners. And then there's like maybe one or two articles talking about detransitioners, but there are a lot of articles saying it's a myth and that it's a transphobic turf dog whistle. So you're going to see all that and you're not going to see the community. And so the biggest concern is that people in that crisis moment are not going to have that community that is really, really helpful. Um, and then outside of that initial crisis moment, like the process of detransitioning is really difficult like emotionally, physically, it's extremely difficult and it's extremely isolating. So for people to not be able to have such a robust, easily accessible community while navigating this experience throughout the months and years that it takes to come out the other side, mm -hmm. that to me is really dangerous and it would be really hurtful to detransitioners to not have that. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's so upsetting that people want to take that away from us that they don't see how hurtful that could be that they don't care about the safety and the well-being of people who just had a different experience and it's like so what if we are critical of transition so what if we are critical of your worldview let us just be that way on our own little in our own little space yeah like i don't get it but it is Seriously interesting. There was another post, and I think it got deleted. I, I looked for it, and I couldn't find it again, but maybe I just uh, I was being stupid. But somebody who had been a moderator and got kicked off or something. There, there's drama. I don't really want to get into the actual drama, but it seemed like there's this thing called transphobia that will get you eradicated. Do you understand what that is? Like, what is so radioactive about this transphobia or like how it manifests in people and 
how they're supposed to suppress it? Yeah, so I think transphobia is so radioactive because of the fact that the identity of transgender, which transphobia is supposed to be harming, that identity is in and of itself an ideological creation. I'm not saying that there weren't people who transitioned before this ideology kind of mainstream. There definitely was. Cross-culturally and historically, there have been people who have transitioned, but they didn't. The gender ideology that we kind of speak of when we say trans ideology um, about gender identity and gender assigned at birth and blah, 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 blah. That is a very recent invention. And that is the predominant view through which people who transition and people who identify as trans are looked at. So it's a little bit different than like racism or sexism because race is an observable category, even if it's socially constructed, like you can still tell a black person from a white person. Mm. Um, and with sex, you can tell a male from a female. Um, so I think the fact that transgender is ideological in and of itself is why any transgression against that ideology is seen as transphobic. Whereas there's a little bit more wiggle room for like sexism and racism with what is considered racist and what is considered sexist. There are different views on racism. There are different definitions of racism. But with transphobia, anything that goes outside of the ideology is transphobic. And the ideology in and of itself is incredibly convoluted, incredibly uh, disassociated from reality. Um, so it's very easy to be transphobic. And then on top of that, you've got this association with transphobia, a.k.a. disagreeing with the ideology mm. um, that is supposedly resulting in these mass deaths and suicides and murders of trans people that when you actually look at the numbers, it's not what they make it look out to be. Mm -hmm. um, so you have that heavy moralization and that extremely emotionally charged um, view of how your rhetoric that disagrees with trans ideology is affecting people in real life. So I think that's why it's so incredibly radioactive. Did you experience transphobia when you were trans identified? I interpreted things as transphobic, but now looking back on it, I don't think, I don't think I ever experienced any like hatred or animosity for the fact that I was a quote unquote trans person. The only thing, the main thing that I considered transphobia was the fact that my parents did not support my transition. But okay. looking back on it, it's not because they hate trans people. It's because they didn't think I was trans and they didn't want me to hurt myself. So other than that, no, not really. I, in the beginning of my transition, I was on a super uh, ideological liberal arts campus. So mm. there was none of that there. It was a major, major hug box. Like <laughs> all the professors and stuff were falling all over themselves trying to validate me. Um, mm. I was in the, I was an executive on the LGBT organizations board. Okay. Um, so yeah, lots of affirmation there. And then when I moved to Chicago, very liberal area, very progressive, nothing really there. Um, but I would interpret things as transphobia. Like if I got misgendered, I would interpret it as someone purposefully doing that. 
Um, like, how can you think that I'm not trans when I'm trying so hard to look like a boy? Um, yeah. Looking back on it, it's like... Did you, did you ever have a moment where the phrase, you are erasing my existence, was something that you understood as a, as a state of being? Like, can you explain what that actually means when they say that? Yeah, absolutely. So in my opinion, that goes back to the fact that the identity of transgender is a recent ideological construction. So because that identity is not really based in any reality, so it's not even based on transition anymore. It's completely ideological. Transition does not define you being trans. Your identity as trans and your adherence to the ideology is what defines you as trans in these circles. So when someone says that you are erasing my existence, it's usually an accusation that you are disagreeing with the ideology because by disagreeing with the ideology, you are disagreeing with their identity. And by disagreeing with their identity, you are erasing their existence as a trans person. We're do you have a conception of your identity at this point? What do you mean? Do you have an identity? Like you uh -huh. had a trans identity? Has that been replaced with some other form of concrescence or something? So I, I was actually thinking about this. I was thinking of making a thread about this. Um, because I think that for a time when this word identity is thrown around so much we have a very shallow conception of what an identity actually is. So your identity as a human being is not something that you can choose for yourself or apply to yourself or construct for yourself. Your identity is the amalgamation of all of the experiences that you've had, all of the different like personal changes and developments you've had. It's affected by uh, your social situation, we have a social identity, and then we have a personal identity. So mm -hmm. all of that kind of, like, these things are converging in so many different ways that add up to create the unique identity that you are, and the unique self-perception that you have. So that's kind of how I look at identity, and I see it as something that is always in progress, you're always changing, you're always adding on to it, you're always uh, reinterpreting experiences that you've had, learning, growing, um, so I wouldn't say that I necessarily see myself as having an identity in terms of a label that I can put onto myself. Um, but mm -hmm. I definitely see myself as having an identity in that I'm a unique human being with unique experiences. Um, the one aspect of dysphoria, whether it's body dysmorphia or gender dysphoria itself, is that it gives you an identity that is built on resisting Mm -hmm. Or and not even just actively resisting, but even a, a revulsion to an identity, or, or like there's this identity of you as a sexed being, like male or female, and mm -hmm. then you construct an identity in relationship to that which you don't want to be anymore. So, it, in the conception of transition, is this relationship uh, to that which was and that which uh, is being attempted to be. Uh, so yeah. it might, uh, in that process, there might be a lot of uh, grounds for those, what you call that ideology, to kind of mack on those tensions, like make those tensions some sort of reality because they are felt and because they are sustained and stuff, but it does a lot of tricks to erase the fact that it is, uh, a trans woman isn't a woman, a trans woman is, is not a man. Like, a trans woman is, is basically not a man, but yeah. still a man, you know, in, in a way. Yeah, so there's a... 
So I think when I think about identity, what I think about is authenticity, like what you are and who you are outside of all the different intellectual hoops that you construct for yourself to jump through. Your Mm -hmm. identity exists under that and it transcends that. So I can tell myself I'm a boy, but my actual identity is not that of a boy. Like I don't have the experience of being a boy. I don't have the experience of being a man that hasn't shaped who I am. That's this, you know, intellectual thing that I've come up with. So do you tell yourself that you're a woman now that you are not telling yourself you're a man? tell myself I'm a woman I just acknowledge that I'm female and I am no longer under the delusion that I have the experience of being a man Mm. I guess do you wake up in the morning and say well who's Helena today (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) a little bit honestly but that might (laughs) like who the fuck am I Okay, so this is the question that your friend wanted us to talk about. My friend suggested to me that it might be worth asking you if you'd be interested in doing an interview on your channel, okay, to talk about my recent cancellation from the D-Trans community and some of the thoughts. So you, now, they canceled you too? Yeah. Oh, okay. So what is it about you that keeps on getting you put in the outsider box yeah so um this has been a wild experience and i've actually taken a lot away from it in terms of like changing the way that i approach things changing the way that i communicate um but it's also caused me to reflect a lot on just kind of the state of the d-trans community but also just my generation and kind of like group of i guess specifically females who grow up online um so basically I don't know. It's, it's difficult. I don't want to condemn people or act like I'm better than people, but I did kind of want to discuss like these dynamics in the D trans community that have kind of uh, caused me to become a bit of an outsider when previously I was very inside. Like I was a moderator on D trans. I was in peak resilience project. Like I was kind of a central figure in this D trans community. And now like all these people have me blocked. Um, so, and they refuse to do, um, like media things with me. Okay. So you, you are being shunned more than canceled in a way. The, the community is not seeking to destroy you. They just have turned away from you then. Well, um, so there was a couple individuals that I will say, um, were members of Peak Resilience Project. That's all I'll say. Um, and they wanted to make a post about on the PRP Twitter about how I'm a racist and we disavow her. She is no longer oh, associated with Peak okay. Resilience Project. Um, and then there was people saying like, you need to unfollow her. You need to unfollow Peak Resilience Project. We need to not associate with these people anymore. They're harboring a racist. Um, and then on top of that, there was a couple like streams that I had lined up that people backed out of and they said, I can't be associated with you anymore. And then there was a couple mm. people that I was in like group chats with who said, we can't be associated with you anymore. Either you leave or I'll leave. Um, so 
that's kind of what I mean by cancel. Like I don't really have a platform big enough to truly be canceled. Yeah. Like they don't for my job or anything. Um, but yeah, shunning slash canceling, that's kind of what happened. Okay, well, let's extract it just a little bit from the personal, just one step yes. removed from that. Yes. It shows that this, beyond the transphobia and beyond the racism and beyond the sexism, is this underlying principle within online communities that there are certain aspects of personality or certain belief systems or even certain views of the world that are repugnant and must mm -hmm. be disavowed. And mm -hmm. that creates a landscape that is filled with landmines that can very easily be weaponized against people on personal levels. Like if, if the culture itself has a very strong bent towards shunning people for having the wrong type of view, then mm -hmm. it's very easy for people to see that and then, in, or, you know, use that to get people out of their way or get people or to punish people for, for other things. Mm -hmm. Why do you think from your perspective at this point in history, at this point in your life, that racism is um, that, that, that the D-trans community, which is being embattled by this threat of transphobia, is now using racism, which is basically the same sort of thing. It's basic bigotry to purge itself. So everybody's hands are, what's going on here? What, what are your thoughts on what's going on here? So this has been something that has confused me for the longest time. And I've always kind of felt like people were being hypocritical in that they, um, you know, they'll say things like, oh, I'm being burned at the stake for being a turf. Like trans people are so intolerant. They're so they're censoring uh, radical feminists and they're censoring gender critical people. Um, but then they'll, like you said, turn around and do the same, like act the exact same way with racism or misogyny. And the conclusion that I came to was that even before you transition a lot of the times, you are indoctrinated into the kind of critical theory, social justice universe. Okay. And so you're, you're in that universe and then you go through your transition, your detransition, whatever. Um, and then when you detransition, the first mode of understanding how the trans ideology was flawed is usually another critical theory, radical feminism, gender critical feminism. And so, they are permitted to criticize trans ideology and the trans community so long as they are doing it in a critical fashion. Hmm. So they are able to criticize the trans community, but they haven't really let go of critical theory or a critical approach to this issue. If what do you think is the what, what what do you think let's let's try to define or try to grok what that critical is what does that critical mean what is the modality what is what is the, the narrative the story or the thought process that is happening on that level of the programming yeah so basically you feel like and cuz i used to be in this space too you feel like the only way that you are allowed to criticize is if you find a way that it's problematic. So like okay. the way that you criticize trans ideology is by calling it misogynistic, by calling it homophobic. There's not a lot of space to really have a more general or broad or even honestly very original discussion on what these different ideas mean and how they uh, implicate 
people of both sexes, of different experiences. Um, you really, there's a lot of pressure at least to stick to um, kind of trying to make trans ideology problematic. By infringing upon the rights or by harming indirectly or directly another marginalized class. Yeah. So the constant is the marginalized class that is embattled. Yes. Okay. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's really obvious. There's one meme that's from feminists that goes, kill all men. And then there's another meme from trans, trans activists that are punch a turf. It's the same exact thing, right? But now they're fighting against each other now. I guess the the women are still fighting against the men, but the men have changed a little bit. <laughs> and now they can openly use the women's uh, rhetorical tools because they have gamed the system to become a marginalized class that is even more marginalized than them. So it's this constant marginalization. At what point in your life have you kind of seen that or, or recognized that as something that you don't want to be a part of or that it's not useful for you anymore? Like, I I kind of started recognizing that I didn't really want to think that way anymore when I saw the rad femme slash gender critical versus trans activist thing as just a circular firing squad. Like they're just going back and forth constantly. And I didn't feel like I was gaining any more of an understanding of what was going on. I didn't feel like I really understood what I had been through anymore. I hmm. felt like I was just recycling these old thinking techniques that had got me into trouble in the first place. And I felt like, I don't know, I just felt like hungry for something more stimulating, more interesting, okay. something that would give me some more answers. Um, and I just wasn't really getting that from the kind of like feminist analysis approach to trans stuff and the moment that really kind of solidified that for me was when um in 2019 i believe i went to new york for a panel and there was a feminist there god what's her name yeah so it was sheila jeffries yeah. and um i'm gonna get to my actual point of how yeah yeah no i want to hear about political lesbian first yeah, so basically, I don't have a huge understanding of this, but I did okay. look into it because after this interaction, I was like, what the fuck? Because she was like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. When a woman has sex with a man, it doesn't feel good. But when you have sex with a woman, it is the most blissful experience that you can ever have. It is like uniting with womanhood. And it's just so incredible. You feel like the vibrations and like she was going off about how amazing lesbian sex is. And I was like, listen, like that may be your experience, but there are definitely some women out there who probably feel that way about men. And like, yeah. that's like, um, interesting. Yeah. So uh, political lesbianism is basically, I think she's an actual lesbian and she's just like ideologically warped. Um, cause that her, um, her definition of how sex with a man versus sex with a woman feels sounded like she's not attracted to men just yeah. physically. Yeah. Um, so that's it, what I think. It's known to happen. Yeah. I mean, happens. Yeah. But, um, lesbian, I guess the best way I would explain it is that even if you are not 
exclusively attracted to women, you can still call yourself a lesbian because you only want to be with women. And it's kind of been used in the past a little bit. It's fallen out of fashion big time um, because a lot of people rightfully think that sexuality is biologically based. Um, But back in the day, I am pretty sure it was kind of used to bludgeon straight women and women who are attracted to men into having shame for their attraction to men and to be woman exclusive because that's a really big thing like Mm. in separatism and and being exclusive against men um so that's my best explanation of what that is but so we were at this panel and i spoke at the panel and the other prp girls spoke at the panel um but before we got a chance to speak sheila was going to present her oration on the state of trans issues today and she went off for like 40 minutes Hmm. and the whole time all she talked about was how trans women are your classic misogynist asshole it's just that now there's a feminist there's a backlash against feminism called trans ideology that allows the classic misogynist asshole from ye olden days to become a woman to colonize womanhood and that they're all just like disgusting sexual deviants and they're just doing it to get uh vulnerable mentally ill repressed lesbians to have sex with them because that's what men want and like that's a, a simplification of what she was saying. It was yeah, pretty complicated. Yeah, yeah. She was reading off of like feminist texts and stuff like that. But that's basically kind of how she was approaching the issue. And I was just sitting there like, that's not true. Like, that's not the whole story. And it was so like emotionally charged and it was so aggressive against men who identify as trans. And I definitely think there's a problem with men who identify as trans using that trans label to um, cross the boundaries of women, females who are in the trans community. I think that's a huge issue. I have multiple friends who have been assaulted (laughs) by trans women. Um, But I also have, and have always had, male friends (laughs) who identify as trans or have detransitioned at this point. And I just knew that that wasn't the whole story. I knew that for a lot of men, the actual experience of gender dysphoria, even if it comes with a sexual component, is an actual experience and not just some kind of con to get into women's pants. Mm -hmm. And so when I was listening to her, I just like, I just lost so much respect for that approach to trans issues. Whereas previously, like before then, I was very on board. I was on board with the feminist analysis. but hearing someone talk about it to s- such a great extent in real life in front of me and the emotions in her voice that were coming out, like the kind of the unwillingness to look at trans issues as a complex, uh, very contemporary phenomenon and her preference for seeing it as just the latest iteration of patriarchy, like patriarchy to transgender boogaloo. Mm-hmm. It was just like so unappealing to me, and that's kind of what made me. What about your mental health? Has there been a confluence between what you believe, however you want to interpret that, but what you're thinking about the world, uh, 
and how you feel about yourself or how you feel and and how has these trying on these different kind of hats kind of get, given you feedback about yourself yeah absolutely so my mental health is probably the best it's ever been right now since um, your twilight days yes definitely since my twilight days twilight gave me mental illness um but yeah so my mental health is definitely a lot better now that i i take every precaution that i can to resist getting caught up in like these ideological bubbles because i've noticed it comes very easily to me um but I, I think i've gotten pretty good at being aware of the emotional reactions that i have to different ideas and statements um that i'm able to kind of when i notice myself having an emotional reaction i mm. kind of stop myself and step back and analyze like where that's coming from um so i think I, at this point i've gotten pretty good at it but when i was more aligned with radical feminism i don't know if i would call myself I don't know if I would say that I was a radical feminist because I think you kind of have to be involved for a little bit longer than I was to consider yourself like an, a, a full on radical feminist, but I was involved maybe like four to six months. And that's kind of how I saw the trans issue. I used uh, Reddit gender critical really heavily. Um, and I used, I was part of rad blur. So like the rad femme community on Tumblr. Oh. And I was actually laughing yesterday, like all these people who think I'm a misogynist have probably reblogged a lot of my rad femme posts. Because <laughs> if you check my Tumblr, there's still notifications popping off. Wait, um, hold on. Add to the racist uh, uh, um, identity, you're a misogynist too? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yes. Are yes, you a misandrist? Do you just hate everybody? No, I'm not a misandrist. I'm a trad wife male apologist. <laughs> <laughs> you do appear to be ba barefoot in this interview so um did did feminism help you make sense of yourself in the world yeah okay. during that period so it i don't think it really helped me make sense it helped me um begin to see my situation differently from how i saw it under trans ideology so Trans ideology for me was a way to conceptualize the distress I was in as a teenager um, in a way that I just kind of funneled all of my feelings into this worldview. And I never, ever, ever allowed myself to think anything differently. So feminism did help me kind of come out of that, but I don't think it actually really helped me understand myself. And I actually think it's delayed the progress that I would have been able to make in actually understanding myself because it was me doing the exact same thing of taking my experiences and my distress and just kind of funneling them into a worldview as, a, mm -hmm. as opposed to seeing myself as a unique individual and like really objectively looking at why different feelings, motivations, desires, uh, thoughts, um, and beliefs were manifesting inside of me. Um, instead, I was trying to fit that all into another box. And I did the same thing that I did when I was trans. So when I was trans, I retroactively applied the ideology to things that had happened in the past. So like, um, my mom used to dress me up in all sorts of dresses and like take pictures of me when I was little. And when I was trans, I retroactively decided that that was something that I hated when I was a kid. But I, I don't really ever remember actually feeling that way. I kind of remember it being annoying, but I don't remember it being like, oh, this is literally killing me. But I talked about it that way. 
Um, and when I got into feminism, I kind of did the same thing with misogyny. So I, w so I would kind of see everything bad that had happened to me and every bad feeling that I had had as like a manifestation of patriarchal societal misogyny as opposed to like unique experiences that hmm. brought me to certain points, if that makes sense. Um, and then the last thing is, so part of masculinity for me, cause I'm clearly not like naturally a, a very masculine person, but part of turning myself into a masculine person was creating like an alternate persona for myself. And because I really hated myself. And so masculinity was a way to kind of put on a mask and to become someone different and to kind of destroy the person that I hated. And femininity to me as a young girl seemed like something that was out of reach, like being feminine or being beautiful was something that I saw was, or I thought was out of reach for me because I was not good enough to ever be attractive, to ever have a partner, to ever have a family, to have a life. I kind of saw myself as not being good enough for those things. Yeah. And so I rejected femininity in part because of that. But when I was in feminism, I interpreted myself completely different from what I just described. I interpreted my trans identity as like, oh, I've always been a masculine girl and femininity felt wrong because it's an oppressive patriarchal beauty standard and I became trans to finally let myself be masculine, I guess. Even though it, that didn't really sound right, but it was, it was part of the ideology that I was getting myself into, so that's kind of what I retroactively applied to my past. Um, and that's kind of just how it delayed my progress and it made me really like hateful towards men and really um, afraid of men and just kind of added a whole level of like rage and paranoia that I didn't need in addition to the upset that I was feeling about my transition. Um, so yeah, I remember getting into a lot of arguments online and calling people misogynist, calling people all this kind of stuff that I get called now. Um, and yeah, so it, it just wasn't mentally good for me and I'm so much better off now that I can see myself as a more complex being and I can see the world as a more complex place. Yeah. It seems in your recount, you said something pretty useful there about trans ideology was a way for you to conceptualize what you were feeling as a teenager. And it might be the case that with the, you know, the, the swelling of the ranks of trans youth, once teenagerhood is over with those, that system no longer works because you're no longer suffering that distress like, that, that you're uh, going through. You also, in telling the story of kind of being a female and be, having a relationship to your desirability. It just made me think about the ways in which perhaps, and I'm going to be stupid here maybe, but um, it seems to be evolutionarily wise for a woman to be obsessed with her desirability. And not that a male growing up in that time doesn't think about how to be attractive, but we are more filled with desire than thoughts of desirability. And it seems to be the case um, that typically the 
the maturation of a female's desire is uh, is kind of followed by her conceptualization of, of desirability because she has to understand what she's going to get in, you know, like just evolutionarily wise, she's going to have a baby based on these things. So she's yeah. got to think through like what she wants and how to get that and stuff. Um, there's a question in there somewhere about, um, well, I don't want to get too personal, but just like how, how does, how does your desire for somebody um, kind of balance against your, your conception of desirability in the sight of somebody like how has that matured over time do, do you consider that much about your desirability now or have you kind of let it go or do you kind of own it more or? i've noticed that like as i've become more like mentally healthy hmm. that it's more easy for me to just let my i guess natural genetic blessedness shine through <laughs> and believe me it's like so crazy because if you saw pictures of me from high school you would not recognize me at all like yeah. i was not attractive at all and i think that was uh, kind of an outward manifestation of like what was going on okay. inside me mentally and so like well, as what I do you mean by attractive then you were not attractive at all i mean i can show you pictures well, I think uh, you posted them, but I think you're seeing yourself as not attractive. And what you're seeing is your desire to not be attractive. Is that what you're, you're um, describing there? I just kind of felt like I really fucking sucked and I never ha would have a chance at being attractive or anyone loving me. So okay. I kind of purposefully dressed like baggy clothes, um, same outfit every single day, like just a pair of leggings and a huge baggy T-shirt. Um, okay, so you yeah. were leaning into your unattractiveness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what what was going on to your attraction during that time? Did you have attractions, too? Like, I guess, maybe I, Bieber posters up on the wall or something like that kind of thing? Yes. I felt attraction, but I was extremely, extremely ashamed of it. Oh. Um, okay. To the point where... Uh, this really illustrates my mental fucking state in high school. But so, or not in high school, maybe like eighth grade. So I was really obsessed with Twilight and I really liked Taylor Lautner. Um, I was attracted to him. And my friend for my birthday got me a poster of Taylor Lautner. And I was like, why the fuck would you do that? Oh my God, like, argh. I was so upset about it. But then like I went home and I had the poster and I was like, And I wanted to put it up, but I was so ashamed of being attracted to Taylor Lautner that there was a big, like, uh, painting frame in my bedroom. Okay. And so I put the poster under the painting so that no one would see that I liked Taylor Lautner. And I just, like, it just sat there under the painting, and I <laughs> felt so guilty and so, like, tormented over the fact that, like, my... That, that someone as like ugly and horrendous as me would like someone as beautiful as Taylor Lawton. Okay, okay. And I had this like, whole like complex about it. And then uh, whenever I was like attracted to boys at school, um, I kept it like top secret, locked down. I would only tell my best friend and me and my best friend had like code names for the boys that I liked. 
And it was just like my worst fear that they would ever find out that I was attracted to them or that I experienced attraction at all. And that energy of attraction would take the form of I, I get stories that you tell to yourself about these boys or like imagined lives together or something like that. Or how did how did how did you're pushing all that energy? Where did it where did you transmute it into? Yeah, so it definitely came out in fantasy, but where it kind of actually started, like in high school, once I got out of middle school, in high school, I got really obsessed with fan fiction. And I wrote a lot of fan fiction. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. And so I, I think, yeah, that my yeah, attraction funny. kind of came out through there. And if I was attracted to a boy at school, I would kind of like pretend that he was one of the characters from whatever fic that I was writing. Mm-hmm. and just kind of funnel it through that as opposed to acknowledging that I myself was attracted to him. And what when you adopted the trans identity, what happened to your uh, thoughts of being desirable and your own desires towards other people? So with my trans identity, I think it this was it was this was what I was coping with, like this kind of like extreme low self-esteem and extreme shame over my attraction. Hmm. Um, so when I adopted my, tra- so when you're fantasizing about someone, obviously like you are having to picture yourself, right? You're fantasizing about doing something with someone, whether it's like romantic or sexual, whatever you're fantasizing about you being the one doing that with someone. And so that was really hard for me because Like I mentioned, I had all this shame and disgust and revulsion with myself. But then when I had the trans identity, when I would fantasize, I would fantasize about the beautiful hot boy that I would become after my transition doing stuff with that person. So I no longer had to really acknowledge or confront the real me that I despised. But I still would not ever fantasize about myself as myself. I would always fantasize about myself as a trans boy, a really hot trans boy. Okay. Your idealized self was a male. Have you, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I'm wondering if, if other people in other experiences or other females in other experiences imagine themselves as an idealized female or did you have like an idealized female that allowed you to escape your uh, disgust with yourself? Like as a kind of a archetype or something like that? Not really, because I was just so positive that I would never, ever, 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 ever be positive. And so that even imagining a situation in which I was not hideous was like, it was just too much to bear because it's like, that was something that I would never have. And when you introduced testosterone into your system what happened to your desire and your thoughts of being desirable like how did things change for you at that step yeah so that was a doozy um for someone (laughs) you think for for someone who's like so cripplingly ashamed of anything sexual being hit with a fat ass dose of testosterone was very overwhelming and very confusing because i like, I feel like most women are kind of like this, but I naturally, like, for, like, 75% of the month, I don't have a very high libido. Um, and then on testosterone, it was, like, max libido every day. 
all day, never stops, never ends, never get a second of fucking peace ever in my life. Like having sex dreams and stuff. Like it won't even leave me alone in my goddamn sleep. And so that was so disorienting and so freaky for me. But at the same time, I had this kind of like, I was in my cloak of masculinity. And even though I didn't feel good about my body, like I still had a very female body underneath the cloak of masculinity. Like, at least when I walked around on a daily basis, I could kind of pretend that I looked like an attractive boy or attractive male or whatever. Um, So that kind of helped with how overwhelmed I felt by the libido aspect. But yeah, it was it was very strange and very unpleasant. And what about your thoughts of being desired and and that desire to be desired? So I... Or were you just so filled with yourself that you didn't think about anybody else anymore? You were free. You were liberated from that. No, I definitely... It's hard to talk about without, like, getting into my relationship. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we don't have to go there. I'm just... I'm Basically, I'm just trying to just map out this part of the conversation, which is kind of... It's it's, uh, it's personal stuff... But that's a part of this. When we're talking about gender, we're talking yeah. about sex. This is just something that, that people are working through yeah, with transition and stuff. So I'll try to do this in a way that doesn't really like... Because I'm not worried about me getting too personal. I spill my guts on the internet all the time. But I just don't want to like bring her into yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But, um, so but you had a female... You had a relationship with a female then. Yeah, but she identified as a trans man at the time and she passed very well. at the time even like before testosterone she passed very very well um and so we started dating literally a week after i started testosterone um so i never really got a chance to experience like what that weird sexual confusion would be like as like a single person and i kind of like i just yeah we boom doing that yeah so testosterone just it launched you into a relationship then in, in a confluence of, of events. Yeah, you can say that. Yeah. <laughs> so now, and then when you were getting off testosterone, did you have to rediscover, um, I guess once that testosterone leads your system, was there a gaping hole? Was there like a wide open fields of not having to be oppressed by uh, a libido all the time? Like how, how was that transition or that detransition? So I actually was only oppressed by my libido for about a year um, because I started antidepressants and that oh. killed my libido. Oh. Um, yeah. Okay. Which was just weird. Like, I, I like having a normal libido where it's like, sometimes I'm horny, sometimes I'm not. I don't like being always horny or never horny. Like, neither of those options are great. <laughs> um, huh. So, yeah, uh, with the antidepressants, like, I had no libido. So, I already, before I ever went off testosterone, I already had no libido. Um, but now that I'm, like, one, off antidepressants two off testosterone, three single. It's like now I'm kind of like figuring out what the hell attraction means to me at this point. Because I've just been so confused and like so influenced by all these different things throughout my life. Um, But right now I feel like I'm kind of getting to a place where I can just like have a relationship with my sexuality. Mm -hmm. Rather than be oppressed by it or or thrust in some sort of chemical 
cocktail mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. relationship with him. Yeah. What What are some of the things? Well, okay. So we we were talking about like that underpinning um, uh, kind of the, the the trap that is uh, kind of toxic to various different activist groups, whether it's the trans rights activist group, the detrans rights activist group, any of these groups that are operating under, uh, you know, liberation and victimhood, I think basically are, are a lot of the big dynamics in a lot of these different things. And they find, you know, patriarchy that they're attacking or the gender binary that they're attacking. And then, or, or I guess the, the white settler colonial European complex, whatever it is. Um, and it seems like you have a loose collection of principles that will constantly get you in trouble with these people. And it seems like it comes down to this uh, recognition of your individuality and the complexity of yourself in the world and the complexity of the world and mm-hmm. stuff. And I guess being young, you might not really have an answer to this, but how does it feel to face that complexity and how do you gain bearing in that? Like, what is, what is your guiding light? Do you have, uh, what, what's the ground that you stand on in this ultimate complexity world? Um, the ground that I stand on is, I guess, a constant awareness of my emotional reactions. Um, okay. and just like, if I'm faced with an idea that is making me react emotionally, either positively or negatively, I take that as a cue to look at other perspectives on it and try to find as much like objective factual information as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and anything that is just like, like, I don't know. I feel like I kind of have a sense of when somebody is coming at something with, either an oversimplified view or like an agenda of some sort. Like they're interpreting something in a particular way because they want it to fit a pre-established agenda as opposed to genuinely like facing that issue with curiosity. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I've developed a pretty good sense of that. Um, And in terms of like principles, I guess my principles would be like truth seeking definitely um, honesty and skepticism. What do you want to build? Hmm. What do you want to make? What's hmm. your dreams of doing? What do you want to do? I really would like, so I'm kind of developing a small little Twitter community of young women who are ex woke. Um, okay. Many of them are detransitioned or desisted, but not all. And so, I don't know, just the conversations that I have with them are really amazing. And I've just met so many, like, intelligent women that way. And we all came from, like, the same source of confusion. Um, And it's just so, like, it feels so healing to actually talk to them. And it feels so healing to Hmm. have them, like, one of them say something that I had not thought of or like put words to something that I didn't know how to explain. And it feels really healing to have them tell me that I did that for them. And so if I'm just following like what feels good and what feels meaningful to me, I really would like to inspire women to, I don't know, 
not feel so pressured by the social constraints of ideological movements. Cause I think women are a lot more susceptible to that. Um, and just like wanting to fit in, not wanting to be seen as a bad person, not wanting to be seen as a racist, homophobe, transphobe, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I really would like to, I don't know, I guess be a leader in that space so that women can see that you don't have to fit into an ideology to fit in with someone like you can fit in mm -hmm. with us even though we disagree on a lot of stuff and we have really interesting conversations we still have like a group where we can be friends and i don't know yeah because i think a lot of women are like kind of looking for that because a lot of women that i've talked to they have a lot of doubts and they have a lot of questions they just don't voice them and I think, like, this is a problem that affects women a little bit more than it does men. I know, like, a lot of men do have that fear and anxiety of being ostracized and being looked down upon and being seen as a bad person. But definitely from my experience, like, the, the fear and shame in women for having dissenting opinions or even questions is really strong. But once, like, you make them feel safe in a conversation to actually talk and, like, uh, validate and acknowledge their thoughts that they're having um i don't know i i just notice women like opening up a lot more and just becoming a lot more confident and that makes me feel good to see we spoke a lot about your desire where's your shame now where where how how are is your relationship to that hmm still got a lot of shame <laughs> <laughs> so it, it it takes up a portion of your room it's not in the closet I, it's there yeah yeah i would say so partially shame and partially just like self-doubt like i kind of have this like running voice in the back of my head that's like oh no you're actually stupid like everyone actually hates you and you actually mean nothing and you should just shut the fuck up nobody cares you're not helping anyone just like stop embarrassing yourself stop making mm. all these people hate you um, you're just going to be friendless and alone and like all your friends are going to turn against you. It's just a matter of time. Like this is kind of like the, the shit that runs in the back of my freaking brain. Um, so that's where that is. Um, but it is, it is getting a lot better. Um, but I noticed that when I do try to be like creative, when I try to write specifically, that voice gets so much stronger and like, I'll be sitting there writing and the whole time I'm writing, I'm like, literally having all of these emotional reactions inside myself where it's like I'm judging every word and every sentence and just being like, this is so stupid. No one's going to care. This isn't good. You suck. You suck at writing. You can't write. Why do you even try? So. I remember, um, I think I was 26 or 27 and I decided to write this, this book. And I, I was, I'd spent like eight months trying to write this book and I would, have nightmares constantly of, of myself telling me you're not allowed to do this. And I would wake up in a panic. You're not allowed to do this. It was, I, I just remembered like, like I would just wake up in a panic. I just like felt like I was doing something I was not allowed to do like really strongly. I have no idea what that was or what was going on with that. But that voice is still with me to this day, but it's not, um, it's not, it doesn't control me as much. It's just like, I just get in this, this fog. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that skepticism, in a way, is a modified form of that? Is is like kind of like cutting it off at the past, saying, "Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I doubt myself, but I doubt everything too." 
you know, so let, let's let's point let's use that little operating system against this thing and see what I get out of it. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I see what you mean. I definitely think like the kind of um, like anxiety based thinking that's always been very constant in me, like just overthinking, overanalyzing everything, yeah. everything going a mile a minute. And so I do think that that comes into play when I'm like entertaining different ideas um, because I, I am quite paranoid about being like radicalized or conned into hmm. another movement or ideology that's just going to waste my time, waste my life and waste my intellectual ability. Um, and I am, I don't want to be a bad person. Like I have no desire to actually do anything that is hurting anyone, you know? So I do kind of have to battle that all the time. And because I was woke for so long and because I only stopped being woke like a year and a half ago, um, like I still do kind of have that like anxiety of like you're being racist or like you're being misogynistic or you're being homophobic. And I have to kind of like battle with that and sometimes make like a judgment call that maybe isn't always correct on whether or not something is actually offensive or not. Um, hmm. but I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to find my way, but yeah, the, the skepticism is definitely, um, me kind of trying to apply my anxiety to something useful. What's the most offensive thing you can get away with? How I, I want I want to know your personal boundary. What what can you say and get away with? Like the most, public and not yeah, the most offensive thing. Most Off the top of your head, what will almost but not get you canceled? I, it's, a, it's a really dangerous question. Hmm. Your 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 silence is violence right now, Helena. I know, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> it's not a fair question. You know <laughs> you're you're painting. You're backing me into a corner here. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, sorry. I feel like I get canceled for literally everything I say, or or at least hmm. the the specific group of people who kind of watch what I say and keep up with what I say, like, are offended by. Literally everything. Um, But probably kind of the stuff that I say about, like, uh, straight girls being shamed about their sexuality. That kind of stuff is, like, some people do get very offended by it, but other people find it very interesting. Like, I don't know if you've seen me tweet about that before. What what, what are you speaking about? What's the general tone of this discourse? Or the content of what you're saying? Just, like... Because this has been my experience, and I know quite a few other young women who have had this experience who they they now identify with being straight, um, but they used to identify either as bi or lesbian. And it comes from kind of like the majority of your life and your social life from a young age being online and being in like woke spaces where like straight people are always talked down upon and like attraction to men is kind of always like comes with this implication that you regret it, that you don't want it. Um, whereas attraction to women, it's like you can talk about that as much as you want in these spaces. I'm not saying in the broader society. Um, and so I do talk about that quite a bit. Um, and I feel like that does kind of run contrary to the, I guess, typical view that you can't be heterophobic or whatever, or that straight people aren't oppressed. Like I always kind of get that kind of backlash. Okay. Like, yeah. How yeah. Are you straight people are oppressed. 
Um, but I do feel like I, I get away with that quite a bit. Yeah, that's that's interesting because um, the, those majority people can experience uh, distress uh, from being harangued constantly, and it's just it's psychologically it's not helpful for your group if you're allowing that kind of behavior. You shouldn't be disparaging anyone, um, and and it just it spirals out of control, and then you have these people playing all these tricks on themselves to own this identity without being identified with that identity, you know, or like kind of shaming themselves into these weird corners um, and stuff. I think th- this is my most offensive thing I'll say to you. Okay. Uh, when I was going to college, well, not evergreen, but like in my college days, in the 90s, let's say, girls had a bi phase, and now they have a guy phase. <laughs> but that's kind of been a constant since the 60s, I'm sure, that females have explored their sexuality during a certain point of life. And plus it, it does, it gives you practice to be in a romantic relationship without the consequences of male sexuality, which is, yeah. you know, the dangers of that, but also like just the realities of getting pregnant. So I think that it does make sense to, you know, play around with romance with your female friends because it's safer. And also just female sexuality is more fluid than male sexuality. Like this is it's science. Like emotion. Um, but no, there's there's research into uh, like arousal patterns, basically. Um, so I do think that's why those kinds of things have happened. But I think right now it's a little bit different than like the bi phases of ye olden days, um, because that was more kind of about like experimenting and like playing with your sexuality. Whereas I think now it's more centered in shame about your heterosexual attraction. Huh. So again, it goes back to that. This is just rebooted, rebooted, like degenerate form of Puritanism, where everything goes except for what should. In a way. I know, I know. I guess that's the most offensive thing that I'll say. It's like being straight is reproductively necessary for our species, and if you shame people for being straight. Hmm. you're just kind of a dumbass like it's it's literally necessary for our species straight that's the new gay that's that's the that's the banner here it's like it's it's punk it's punk to reproduce it's kind it's kind of it's kind of like how conservative is the new counterculture yes it's like the the here go your uh ben shapiro fantasies (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, I got so much shit. Um, but, yeah, it's um, it's like the people who think that they're the counterculture and the people who see themselves as, like, the resistance, they're actually now the establishment. Yeah. And the people who are seen as being the establishment are being marginalized more than any other group. Like, I would say ideological conservatives are more marginalized than any other group in the current discourse. Well, um, who's next on your interview circuit after me? Um, I'm going to be on some podcast tomorrow. Oh, wow. I'm a shit. I forget what the podcast is called. Oh, no. I'm just so famous. Like, you don't understand. You don't Sorry understand. About it. I'm almost <laughs> as famous as you are, and I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed at my own uh, fame sometimes. It's just because your hair. 
I don't think so. I I don't <laughs> think so. Um, uh, why don't you say goodbye so I can stop the recording? Goodbye. <laughs> okay, stop. Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. Have a good night.